radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. along your host, I invite you to step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can ever guide us to all us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. I'm really excited about tonight and tonight's guest because um, he's somebody that I actually know. And and so often I, I I interview people that have written books and you know I've met them online when I was talking to them but but I've actually met this man both of them actually but I only have one of them here which is which is fine um, tonight we have author Jim Vieira on who along with co-author Hugh Newman has written a new book highly I recommend it I can't tell you how highly I recommend it it's called Giants on Record. America's Hidden History, Secrets in the Mounds, and the Smithsonian Files. It's a spectacular book. It is not just a compilation. It is uh, a book that is that, that gives you all sorts of different philosophies for how and why things happened, and it postulates lots of different suggestions, and it sets you to thinking like crazy. Uh, Jim is a stonemason, a researcher, and a writer. 
and he's an amazing writer. Actually, I have one of his articles on my website on your secrets of the stones because he said stuff so much better than I could have. Um, as well as exploring and writing about the stone sites of New England, he's collated over 1,500 newspapers and scholarly accounts of giant skeletons being found in North America and around the world. He's written for Ancient American magazines, The Heretic, which is in the UK, and local Massachusetts newspapers. In 2012, he created the online blog, The Daily Giant, which showcased the giant report every day for nearly two years. And he is the star of the History Channel TV shows Search for the Lost Giants, that's 2014, and Roanoke Search for the Lost Colony 2015 with his brother Bill. He's an amazing man, and, and I, I can't tell you how excited I am to have him on the show. Jim, welcome to Nightlight. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Barbara. That's uh, quite an intro. <laughs> I appreciate all the kind words. Very nice. Well, well, you know, it's it's really amazing. Uh, so many you you do bring the the esoteric into the element of the giants, and you know, my I do mostly the spiritual stuff, but I've had a fascination with giants for a very long time. And, and I have a lot of reports on my, on my website to sort of chronicle the fact that they've been, I mean, the bones have been out there for a long time. But uh, it, it was really basically what in the 1800s that most of the bones that, that we, we have newspaper articles on and such that, are, that, you know, those are the reports that we have that kind of chronicle them and tell, tell us that they were out there. Yes. You know, starting, in the early to mid-1800s, um, you had a wide variety of reports all around the country and, you know, uh, anthropological, archaeological bulletins, town and county histories. And then in the late 1800s, the Smithsonian's Eastern Mounds Division had its scientists uh, start unearthing skeletons in the eastern half of the country and a lot of those reports came back, you know, well over seven foot skeletons, uh, over and over again are quite a few, um, just enormous, um, skeletons were reported along with actually in 1873, uh, 36 inch circumference skull and other large skulls from a burial mound. And, um, several of those were reported as crumbling to dust, um, when they were exposed to the air, which is unfortunate. So that's, we get into that in the book, you know, at first blush, you would say, oh, there's a big conspiracy here and the Smithsonian's involved. And when I first started researching this uh, controversial subject, that was my impulse because I don't have um, a lot of trust for institutions, uh, for governmental institutions, for, you know, uh, there's a lot of agenda and, and there's a lot of sociopathic behavior uh, that, CEOs and other people engage in. So I was like drawn into this kind of controversial take on the subject, but taking a step back, I see it more as a, uh, a mystery that's never been, um, addressed by the Smithsonian. Uh, and it'd be nice to, you know, get an official statement on what all the scientists measurements mean. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it is a fascinating historical mystery. Well, yeah. And, you know, so many, the, Fables and stuff talk about giants being huge but stupid. And, you know, when you look at the size of these skulls, 
And you have to assume that, that there was a brain in that skull, that, that they must have been highly intelligent. Yeah, I, I, I try to, how do I express this? This whole experience for me has been really uh, kind of fascinating and disconcerting <laughs> um, to look at human behavior and, and psychology. You know, what I found is that so many people are wedded to some agenda that instead of looking at something objectively, uh, it's like, okay, I have a theory and I'm going to do everything I can to prove this theory and I'm going to preclude information that, that doesn't support my theory. And I'm going to attack anyone who says anything <laughs> wrong about my theory. And uh, I see a lot of true believers that don't really think critically and logically and reasonably oftentimes. And then I see a lot of uh, entrenched skeptics who have their own agenda. And, and uh, it's like religion and politics, and they're totally unwilling to meet in the middle or to give anything. Like if I, you know, if I give the littlest piece of information, you know, then I am – agreeing with um, creationists who believe the the earth is 5,000 years old or something, you know. So I, I've had to kind of uh, burn everything to the ground and and start from scratch doing my own research and, and trying to put together theories but not really um, have an agenda, you know. And with the, with the book, I think you can see there's a really a stunning historical mystery here. The way – you have specific measurements over and over again, and this is these are stationary objects, and these reports are buried in respected town and county uh, histories by respected historians. Oftentimes, it just doesn't make logical sense that it's some kind of hoax. And uh, and to your point that yes, the, the you have missing legends of ogres and and uh, you know giants who are morons or whatever, and then you have. <laughs> Other kind of um, mystical accounts of, of like uh, survivors of a great flood who travel the world and repromulgate civilization. There's all these myths and legends tied around um, the idea of giants, and it's I don't know why, but it's uh, part of the collective uh, imagination or unconscious. Well, part of my fascination with the giants and 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 the chambers, as a matter of fact, is that that. They have been ignored, both of them, the chambers and the giants. And the, the more I read and the more I discovered, and certainly I've read a couple of books on, 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 on the giants, more than a couple probably. I think yours is the best though. I really do. Because you, 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 you not only don't say this is the way it is, you say this is one theory, this is another theory, this is another theory, this is another theory, and in some way, shape, or form, you can actually weave all of them together. And what what fascinates me is that um, they they have been here for so much longer than anybody realized. And and I, I think that in the 1800s when bones were dug up, it was whoa, look at this, I can put it over my head, let me take it home for a souvenir, and no real research was done on them. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that, that's one thing that caught my attention is that, you know, some of these reports are, you know, people putting the skull on like a helmet or the jawbone of the face. Mm -hmm. But it is littered in obscurely in all these documents. Uh, and then I started to uncover them. And I'm like, 
how can they be reporting the same thing all around the country uh, that's clearly indicating an enormous human uh, skeletal structure? And, and that's what caught me. And because the kind of prevailing idea is that the misidentified mastodon bones or hoaxes. And the more I dug in, I, you know, I found not really misidentified remains. I found some hoaxes. Uh, some exaggerations, some mis- mismeasures, but oftentimes, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the investigation, I walked away saying, um, wow, uh, you know, I'm really, uh, you know, c- cannot uh, count this out as a reality over and over again. No. So yeah. And, and, you know, the the indigenous, the native people that, that you know, we speak of have have legends of the giants and so one has to think, okay, so the giants were here before the Native Americans were here. And, and yes. then, yes. then, then you look, start looking at this stuff and you think, you know, what, 20,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, some of the carbon datings that, that you provide and some of the thing in, in areas in your book are mind boggling. And, and so it, it's sort of, you know, you do mention it, and I kind of, you know, am, am kind of embracing the thought that that the giants really migrated or or came from this this particular continent, and it, they they had to be. I mean, you know, let's face it: in every generation, there are dumb and there are brilliant. But it, it feels to me as though, um, especially when you see on the West Coast the Catalina Island and the Santa Rosa stuff, those 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 giants there were were buried with with respect and with dignity. And some of them, I mean, some of those sites are just so old that that they don't fit into they don't fit into the, any current knowledge or or um, sequencing for what our history is. You know, it's where the kids are taught in school, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He hit this coast, and and the Native Americans were the only people here. And and then you go into the giant stuff, and you know the giants had to have been here before that. And the way some of the burials are, I mean, they had to be highly developed. Some of the implements and and things that are buried with these bones are phenomenal. Well, you have, you have two stories. One would be that there was a royal class of, of extremely tall Native Americans, uh, like the Adena people in the eastern half of the country, <clears throat> several thousand years ago. Their, their rulers elongated their skulls. The women were often over six feet tall. The men, seven foot and taller, particularly robust, um, large skeletal structure, not like a skinny NBA player. And there are several uh, over seven foot finds in the 1950s by university trained anthropologists, Webb, Snow, Dragoo, mm-hmm. that I talked about in the book. And the other story is that there was the oral tradition, uh, traditions of many Native American tribes and many indigenous people all around the planet, but I'll stick with the Americas, is, you know, that in the late Pleistocene, times, you know, probably, old, you know, before 12,000 years ago, 13,000 years ago, they all described, you know, essentially a, a race of giants that uh, were oftentimes portrayed as malevolent and and um, 
cannibalistic and it, it's just these strange tales. It's like the more I dig into Native American oral traditions, the more I see that, you know, they, they predicted geological events 12,000 years ago, uh, tsunami frequency, the Pacific tribes in the Northwest coast. They really, uh, oral histories all around the planet, the Aborigines in Australia, there's a new report out about their, their, uh, understanding, um, uh, I don't know the specifics of it, but essentially science has ascertained that they uh, understood what happened 12,000 years ago as far as uh, some sea level changes. So you have, or, you know, this kind of library in the ethers of, of indigenous wisdom, and they're all saying the same thing, that there was an ancient cataclysm around 12,000 years ago. Giant people existed in the past. Little people existed in the past. Uh, you know, they often talk about, a lost continent in the Atlantic and uh, the debunker can, you know, deride that, but you know, it's really, um, I don't know. It's really uh, challenges you to, to think that all these indigenous people who had no contact, uh, she had the same stories, you know, uh, it's fascinating. You get into Carl Jung, the collective unconscious, the holographic nature reality. I don't know what, you know, I can't put my finger on it. I could just give you my take, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's quite a compelling thing that all these, uh, traditions, uh, are saying the same story. And, um, well, I, you know, I, I have come to believe that, that what, what for, in a great many cases, what comes down to us as legend or, or fable is, is actual reality that, that, you know, they've lost the, the facts that substantiate it. So it just becomes a story that you scare kids with. And when it comes to the giants, they were all over this country. They, they were in, in many cases, especially in the Ohio Valley, the mounds that were there had giants buried in them in sitting positions and the artifacts were phenomenal. Yes, you have, uh, you have reports from, th- this is the thing that grabbed my attention. For, for anybody to say this isn't an interesting mystery or it doesn't deserve, uh, further investigation is being disingenuous. They either have, haven't done their homework or their agenda, frankly, is just to be an a-hole and, and to run mm-hmm. their mouths. Because at the bar, you know, at the end of the day, if you look some of these reports, um, 1897, the head of the Smithsonian uh, Anthropology Department, Thomas Wilson, verifies this eight-foot, one-and-a-half-inch skeleton from Miamisburg. It's in the book. There's a hand-drawn sketch of it. And he says the authenticity of the skull is beyond doubt. It's basically categorized as one of the the, the biggest uh, skeletons ever found in history, next to, like, Charles O'Brien and the Irish Giant, but eight-foot, one-and-a-half inches, verified by um, the head of the Smithsonian. Then you have also, I think it was 1897, the head of uh, Carnegie, W.J. Holland, a paleoanthropologist, he unearthed an over-eight-foot skeleton between eight and nine feet at the McKees Rocks Mound in Pennsylvania. It's in Scientific American. In mm-hmm. the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, you've the head of um, geology department, Walter B. Jones at Arkansas, uh, Alabama. You have Byron Cummings, the head of uh, the archaeology department of Arizona, the dean of Southwest Archaeology. Forrest Clements, head of anthropology, University of Oklahoma, on and on and on, documenting seven foot and tall skeletons, Byron Cummings, over eight foot skeletons that were destroyed in the Sonora chapter. I talk about it, destroyed by the Yaqui Indians when they smashed them with the rifle butts. Mm-hmm. 
And a skeptic would say, oh, you know, show me the bones. And isn't it, you know, convenient that, you know, bones get smashed and bones disappear? And I would say, if you read all these accounts, there are so many that are on display. The town's a buzz. They're in like some, you know, the county clerk's office or something like that. All these people who respect it verify it. And without physical evidence, you really, you can't say, oh, this is a, a reality. But you can say this is a strange mystery and what, you know, if you don't believe it, what is your story? What is your your view on this, you know? And I don't get a lot of really coherent views. I get like insults or dismissiveness when the reality is like set your agenda aside and look at this from a historical detective's viewpoint. Yeah, and and what what gets to me is – I mean, there have been battlefields that have been uncovered that are, that are hundreds slash thousands of skeletons that, you know, when the railroads went through, they just basically threw the, threw the bones to the side. They, you know, there, there was a, such a casual, um, attitude towards unearthing bones that, that for some reason, you know, it may have made the newspaper or not. And, and it's sort of like in this country, we as a, 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 a group, um, think about antiquity and we look to Egypt, Rome, and Greece. And, and we don't realize and we don't pay attention to the antiquity that's here in this country that could even be older than Egypt, Rome, and Greece. It's just that it hasn't been chronicled yet. Yeah, well, I think one of the problems was that when the uh, colonists came here, you know, the, the Native Americans were essentially in the way and they were heathens and there was a lot of conversion uh, religion going on and a lack of respect for the spiritual practices of Native peoples that were, in my opinion, much more sophisticated uh, than the horde that came over, basically, the, the white plague that uh-huh. spread, you know, and it's just the, it's just the way it is that uh, – you know, kind of a proof that Native American culture has been uh, marginalized is the fact that we just don't know anything in schools about uh, – taught in schools about the mound builders and all the incredible geometric forms and earthen pyramids and earthen uh, mounds that are all around the eastern half of the country. Many of that destroyed, but, you know, Cahokia, 100-foot-tall – Earthen Pyramid with the 14-acre base uh, right. still there in Collinsville. Yeah, the geometric forms in Ohio, just uh, stunning octagons and in, 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 uh, circles that predict eclipses. We talk about that in the book, just this amazing um, Native American engineering projects and culture. And basically, you know, they had their issues, but they were pretty solid across the board for about at least 12,000 years being stewards of the land and keeping their act pretty uh together and then <laughs> we've come over in 400 years and poison the waters and the shit we've done all you got to do is travel through any like city or you know the rust belt or something like that and you just shake your head it's just like it's like that indian or the native american in the 70s uh, uh that would cry with the litter commercial Remember oh that? yes yes yeah. yes and that's the film many people get is just like hey our culture sucks. We need to <laughs> like change direction. It, it is, uh, it's just vampire academy. You know, everybody's got weird agendas. Everybody's trying to get. Everybody's looking for a hit. Instead of like turning your life around, um, 
in, in having a more uh, metaphysical, spiritual look at things, a more uh, compassionate look at reality. So that's why people have, they looked to the past to like, I am seeking um, to identify with civilizations that did it right, that were communally, that had um, spiritual practices that were for the good of all or religious practices for the good of all, not selfish, weird, dogmatic nonsense that you find in organized religion oftentimes, but like a an orientation for the good of all life forms. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you go back in, in history, look at the Iroquois. Their nation was huge, and they had huge cities, and they had pyramids. And, um, you know, it, it probably had kind of gone down a bit before the colonists got here. But, I mean, on top of the fact that the colonists looked upon them as, as um, very barbaric uh, and obviously not educated, uh, the colonists also brought um, all of the diseases with them. So, you know, we wiped out most of them with the diseases that they brought over from, from you know, the motherland. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things... I mean, you have to admit that there were giants here, and they were all over the place here, um, not only here but in South America and, and up in, in Canada. And, and you know, once you accept the fact that, that there are there are giant bones here, um, I mean, the cave in, in Nevada where they found all of the all of the bones of the giants that the uh, that the Navajo had Paiute, uh, Paiute mm-hmm. um, had had sort of destroyed you know all of the indian legends speak of the tall ones or the you know the giants and if they were here and and they fill one of those slots in our history that that has been sort of left blank because we don't know what was going on here if we accept the fact that they were here and i do believe they were i mean there's just no question to that next question is where they come from um yeah, the, the, well, the current anthropological theory is out of Africa. Um, you know, Australopithecus evolved into, you know, um, ancestors like Homo erectus, Homo ergaster, and then Neanderthals and the Denisovans were our cousins, essentially, who we interbred with about 40,000 years ago in Denisova Cave in Siberia. Uh, in the land bridge theory is that humans, uh, you know, eventually made it here, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, roughly 15,000 years ago. And there's debate about that, about the Clovis barrier, the ice bridge allowed Siberians to come through and then peoples, uh, North and South America. You know, for me, there has to be, um, Anthropological, like an anthropological link. Where do they come is the question. You know, uh, with the Denisovans, 40,000 years ago, I mean, 40,000 years old is the Denisovan, uh, finger bone, I think they found in Denisova cave. Yeah. So anyways, the two, two teeth they found, and they're both enormous, and they're as big as a, they thought it was a cave bear's tooth, and they took it to the Max Planck Institute and found it was a new, uh, hominid species, um, which was fascinating. And it interbred with humans and Neanderthals, and it interbred with the species X that they know exists and they have no anthropological evidence for it. 
<clears throat> so my question is, the Denisovans with these enormously large teeth, are they of giant stature? Is the species X that interbred with humans, is this, has, you know, some part of our past, you know, that caused, uh, you know, giant people to be part of our population? Lee Berger in uh, South Africa, he's a professor, he just made a stunning find of Homo Nadelli, uh, Noletti, I'm sorry, at the Rising Star cave system from uh, near uh, Johannesburg. And it's, uh, I think it's part Australopithecine. But anyways, it's like, it's it's piecing together the story of human, human evolution. But he talks about uh, Homo heidelbergensis, a South African strain. We talk about it in the book, but that uh, he says they have bones that clearly indicate an over seven foot population that branched off from Homo heidelbergensis uh, in Germany and other places. So he's talking about a period of gigantism about 150, 200,000 years ago. Uh, and they just found off the coast of Taiwan recently, fishermen about 60 feet out found a really huge um, human jawbone. And once again, that is indicating ex exceptionally large species of hominid, you know, and we have in 2003, I believe the, the hobbits on Florensis, uh, Homo florensiensis showing up. That's a, a three foot tall creature basically. <laughs> so you have all these anthropological mysteries and I'm not just going to say, Oh, this is a reality. You gotta, you know, you know, it's for me, it's more like, um, I just, I want to be objective and say, I understand where science is coming from, but I have a. I look from a different perspective. I look from an esoteric, mystical perspective. I try to take in oral traditions and other sources and, and just um, and align them with science to try to uh, draw a conclusion. So I'm open-minded. Science will give us some of our answers. Uh, I don't want to. I don't need the guys in this constant battle back and forth. It's more like believe what you believe. I am trying to solve a problem by looking at things holistically, kind of the end. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, I, I totally, and, and it isn't that these were people that had that, that gigantic, gigantism, um, deformity. These are perfectly formed human beings that are huge. And, you know, they were talked about in the Bible. They were, and there were tons of, Tons of tribes of giants in the Bible, and and almost if you go to the Native American Indians, um, almost all of them have uh, they've got fables, they've got histories, they've got stories of, of floods and and the tall people coming and helping them and teaching them and and in 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 some places they talk you talked about how um, the, the tribes did natural selection with breeding to try to to breed for larger and larger and larger people. And personally, just my opinion with no scientific background, um, it feels to me as though they are very much like those people who, who tried to wrap their children's heads to make them larger so that they resembled another subspecies, side species of, of human, I, I feel that, that perhaps the Indians in their selective breeding were trying to recreate something that they had from their past and they lost. Yeah, that, that's an interesting hypothesis. I would, 
say I've thought of the same thing. Uh, what you're talking about is skull elongation mm-hmm. with the head binding, and that's a very interesting anthropological mystery. And once again, it doesn't get addressed. I just feel that, you know, there are uh, this academic filtration that happens, you know, that I really just think things get pushed out of the way because they've been they've been left to languish as as ideas that are unscientific or kooky or uh you know was fringe if you will so they haven't got the the uh investigation they deserve and sometimes that causes wild theories to pop up that have no basis in reality don't have a lot of credibility but sometimes legitimate questions are left behind and i think um all around the planet you have uh, tribes elongating their skulls and it's mm-hmm. like are they emulating something and why would you do such a bizarre and strange thing to your child uh, and how how could it be known about all around the world you know France and Paracas Peru and everywhere you, you find this in the Americas uh, all around the planet the strange behavior and like you said with you know giant people is it some kind of inbreeding like this memory uh Personally, I am, you know, I grew up Catholic. I am uh, not Catholic at this point. I would consider myself kind of spiritual, uh, but not religious. Um, So I don't have a vested interest in saying that. It's very odd that the Bible has all these accounts, like you said. And they talk about specifically like the giant of Gath. I think it's Samuel 2120 had six fingers and six toes and you have these legends of giants with six fingers and six toes and you have petroglyphs all around the, the Southwest and other places with like giant hands and feet with six fingers and six toes. And it, it's just an odd thing. And, and you could just dismiss it all out of hand and have a one line and show me the bones or something like that. But it's like, that's not really addressing the largest story here, how it can be embedded in so much of our, our most important your religious documents, historical documents, uh, the early explorers, the Spanish and English explorers over and over again reported seven, eight, and nine-foot-tall people from Patagonia uh-huh. to up Florida. And, and so it's it's um, it's a compelling mystery. <laughs> well, well, the six fingers and six toes and the double rows of teeth and you left out the red and auburn hair and the fair complexion, um, that's – that's been repeated over and over and over and over again. And, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because when, uh, when Patrick and I did a show on this on Matrix Radio, we had a woman call in who was sure that she was related to, um, one of the, uh, tribes in, in, um, Ireland because all of her family had the red hair, the fair skin, the six, uh, the six fingers and six toes, and the double rows of teeth. I personally know someone whose family, the double rows of teeth, the six digits, six, you know, digits on hands and feet, um, you know, run in the family. So it feels to me as though, genetically speaking, that certain aspects of giants have come down into today and and you know genetically speaking i think they there has to be a connection to the giants it's it's not it's not a deformity it's just something that 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 runs in certain family lines and you have to almost assume that there had to be a source for that particular gene 
Yeah, yeah, I, it's just, uh, it's the strangest thing, I gotta say, <laughs> that there are these consistent anatomic anomalies get talked about and, uh. It would be interesting to do some sort of a study to, to, to take people that have had these, these aspects within their own lives and follow their, the family line back to see if, if, if it was something that you could trace back to or look for that, that, um, the, the, the X group, the, the Hal, Haplo group. Haplo group X. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, um, advances in mitochondrial DNA research, uh, genome sequencing that are telling us, giving us a lot of answers. So once again, uh, science will provide a large part of uh, answers to our, our questions, but not all, you know, I just kind of think spirit has lost its, I mean, science has lost its spirit somewhat and doesn't always look at things um, from a holistic perspective. And well, well, you know, there's, you know, you, you, you did put out one other theory that I thought was phenomenal and that was the CO2 theory, the, um, pre-flood that there was a larger degree of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which made plants grow bigger. And theoretically, if it made plants grow bigger, perhaps it made people grow bigger as well. You know, that, that, that's another interesting twist. And Native Americans will point to the, like, the late Pleistocene era, well, once again, as this uh, time when there were giant people on the earth. So you have, say, 15,000 years ago, you have stegodons, you have giant sloths, giant beavers, huge megafauna and megaflora. And certainly you have uh, uh, small humans that existed. Uh, we know that from the fossil record, but were there larger humans? And, th and then that's when the Bible talks about like a malevolent uh, group of giants w was killed as in, and the Great Flood happened, and that's when... Atlantis, Plato talked about Atlantis uh, being uh -huh. destroyed about 12,000 years ago. Edgar Casey talks about that. And the honest truth is that all, you know, all throughout human history, uh, different civilizations have thought, you know, that <clears throat> they had all the answers scientifically, but things keep progressing and there's that kind of arrogance carries over like we have all the answers, but, uh, They've been predominantly wrong over and over again. And now, what does our current society and its uh, <clears throat> scientific establishment have wrong? It's simple as that. You know, what is it that I think we missed that? I think there was, or I believe, <clears throat> like Graham Hancock talks about, I think around 12,000 years ago, there was a cataclysm and a cometary impact. And uh, you look at a site like Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, it's a sophisticated megalithic complex and it's 12,000 years old. And that would have been completely unthinkable, say 20, 30 years ago. And there, there are things that we've missed or have been precluded for some reason. And that's all I'm asking is like, what, you know, in 50 years, we're going to look back and what did science miss? Oh, yeah. there wasn't, you know. Well, in, with, yeah. with, with go blicky techie, that was, that site was, um, intentionally buried as though to protect it. So 
it would seem to me, at least that's what I read. Um, and, yeah. and if that was the case, then they must have known that there was a cataclysm of some sort coming, which again, that goes back to the fact that they had to know the stars. They had to, they had to have, um, a better understanding of the cosmic atmosphere and, and be able to predict what was going to be coming because it seems to me that, that, you know, before the flood, there was, um, what did they call it? The, the younger, younger dries. Yeah. Impact. Impact. Where, where there was a horrific amount of, of impact from meteorites and meteors and stuff like that, that just, that changed the atmosphere and in changing the atmosphere, it, it, that's that's kind of it goes along with the fact that at one point possibly the Earth had a double atmosphere, and that would that was what allowed a lot of the uh, dinosaurs that theoretically couldn't get off the ground to actually fly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it's really a, a good point that you look back at uh, history, and, and you, it was such a bizarre place. Uh, about 15,000 years ago, 14,000 years ago, <laughs> once again, the, the late Pleistocene era and, and, um, it completely changed. There was a cataclysm that, that just swept, you know, mastodons and mammoths, uh, like basically, uh, you know, I don't want to be long winded, but there was a, like an earth shattering cataclysm that happened that reformed the whole earth. No mm-hmm. question in my mind. All the Native American tribes talk about it. They talk about, their ancestors escaping to the mountaintops, whether it's here in the Northeast, Mount Washington or Mount Rainier or Mount Hood or Mount Ararat in Turkey. It's the same story all around the world. Not just like, you know, to, you know, like a, a kind of a flood of the Mediterranean, but a cataclysmic mind warping flood of, of biblical proportions, if you will. And I really believe that. Uh, we're a species with amnesia. If you have an interest in this subject matter, I would pick up Graham Hancock's book, um, Magicians of the Gods, his newest one, which is excellent. And like Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, once again, it's 12,000-year-old massive megalithic temple site. Uh, it was used for a 1,000 years, and then it was purposely buried, as you said. And the oldest enclosures at the site are the most sophisticated that Graham points out, indicating that, these hunter-gatherers who were organized to build this, um, why would their work get worse over the next thousand years? Was it that they were guided by survivors of the flood, like you have the legends everywhere all around the planet, uh, guided to, to kind of re-promulgate civilization? Uh, it's a very interesting theory. And once again, I would say, you know, 50 years into the future, how are we going to look back at what we're talking about now? What is going to be proven to be accurate and what isn't. And, uh, I just, uh, you know, that, that's why it's worth being open-minded about these things and not being an idiot because, you know, we don't have all the answers. We can make some logical guesses. And I say, you know, on both sides of the, the aisle, there are, once again, there are true believers who don't think critically. And that's why, I mean, I, I, I took my Facebook account out back and shot it like two years ago. <laughs> I, have, I have no internet presence. I find it a wasteland of diversion and nonsense. And I'm, you know, of course there are good things. It's, you know, uh, it's relative, but I just, uh, for somebody who is invested in kind of, uh, spiritual evolution, I find just 
sitting in silence is much better than being on the internet and being diverted. And I just find there's so much nonsense and my head wants to explode. And then on the other side, there is a lot of academic arrogance. There are trolls and debunkers who have an agenda. They're not looking to find the truth out. They're just looking to belittle someone. So you have people who really, uh, need to, uh, move in a better, in a, in a different direction on both sides. You know, that's my conclusion. Well, that, that sounds like a good conclusion. I, I, I would tend to agree with you for the most part because, you know, being on a spiritual journey is, is, is one of one's self-awareness and two is truth. And you look at the giants and it's a question mark. I mean, they were here. They were huge. They were, I mean, if you go to, um, um, did you ever look at the Brighton Wiener Cave thing that, that Patrick had up on his website, the cave in, in Bavaria, that in 15-something, a whole members of the town went and investigated the cave, and they found huge bones and altars and all sorts of stuff there. Um, you know, there's there's material out there. It, 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 you know, I, I think that, that, you know, they're laughing on the other side because it's kind of like, well, all the pieces are there. Why can't they put them together? And <laughs> it, mm. it's, a, it's a matter now of the fact that there are so many theories you don't know where the – what is the truth and what isn't? And you have to keep fitting the pieces together until they, they dovetail in perfectly. So you know that there is, there is continuity. And, and for me, it's, it's, there was, uh, I know, uh, um, as far as time way and timeline goes, I know that there is our pieces missing in our understanding of, of our species on this planet. And, and you can't tell me that we went from cavemen to Indians. I mean, obviously there were giants in there someplace. How do the giants figure <laughs> into the evolution of, of Homo sapiens? Because they look like Homo sapiens. Um, if you, if you look at, um, the Toth material, uh, theoretically, and that's the Atlanteans. Um, the Atlanteans were theoretic, theoretically giants because they talk about little men and then the Atlanteans. And it, it's kind of like, okay, so where did they come from? I mean, did they evolve on this planet? I mean, I, I don't think I buy that extraterrestrials planted them here. I think they're part of our evolution, and I'm not sure how they fit in, but but they absolutely do fit in because because I know people that have attributes that have been you know attributed to giants. Yeah, I'd say that somebody for me who is um, kind of proven to be a a good source of information is Edgar Casey, the mystic. Mm-hmm called The Sleeping Prophet. He had four, over 14,000 readings and 25 million words uh, documented at the ARE library in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. He lived in the early part of the 19th century, and I, I've just read through so much of his stuff, and he would go into a trance state and basically tap into the, you know, the universal records, if you will, and he would tell these stories, uh, or he would do health readings for most people. Mm-hmm. 
then one day he just uh, he was talking about a past life of someone, and he started talking about Atlantis. And then he got asked more and more questions eventually, and told this kind of alternative history. And he talked about the mound builders, and he talked about uh, that part of the population of Atlantis was well proportioned. Uh, beings who were 10 to 12 foot tall and little people who existed there also. And Rudolf Steiner said the same thing. And then the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons also talk about that in their literature and this connection with, you know, with giants being part of the lost colony of Atlantis. And it sounds like, oh, you know, that's so strange, that's so odd, or that's, you know, you know, unthinkable, whatever. But the they're all independently saying the same thing along with, once again, oral traditions. And it's just the oddest thing that you would have these, like if somebody will land on this planet and you would talk to like in, indigenous people or comparative mythologists, you would have this totally different view of what this planet and species was all about than what the conventional wisdom is. And that doesn't mean that, there isn't a justification. You know, if you study anthropology and archaeology, uh, you will be moved in that direction to believe the anthropological record is this way, archaeology is this way, change is very slow. But, there, there yeah, there's a story behind the story. It could be genetic intervention. Um, something's going on, you know. There's certainly, yeah. If you look at the Haplo group, um, X. Um, Casey talks about a lot of the survivors of Atlantis going to the east coast of uh, of the Americas here, and that's where the yeah. largest selection. That's where the largest a large proportion of the Haplo group, the Haplo X group, um, are found with the with the Indians that, that that were in this area and and. Um, you know, the other places where the survivors of Atlantis, you know, were theoretically, um, went to, that there are other groups here. I think, um, Ireland was another one of the groups where, where Atlantean, um, survivors went. So that, so that, that Haplo X group, um, comes up again and again and again. And, you know, 20 years ago, Atlantis was a great fairy tale. Um, I'm, I'm now beginning to think that it's it's much more than and, and it's not a fairy tale. So you know it's kind of uh, you you have to be much more respectful of it because you know there there is just much more there to deal with. And um, whether it's Blavatsky or whether it's Casey or whether it's the Freemasons or the Rosicrucians or the Theosophical Society. I mean, they all speak of giants, and 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 we have the evidence here in this country, which blows me away. And the other really cool connection you made, which I was fascinated with, is that the mounds that that a lot of these giants, uh, you know, are, are buried in, and, and the area around them, they are they are basically constructed in a very similar manner as to what Atlantis theoretically was constructed as. Yeah. G- uh, Greg Little, a uh, friend of mine, he's uh, author of um, the mound builders, Edgar Casey's forgotten legacy, uh, where he talks about Casey and the mound builders. He, Greg has a ton of 
uh, great books. He's a really good researcher and a psychologist by by trade. He's the one who originally linked that up. And in, in, in Portsmouth, Ohio, in the book, we show the picture of um, the old engraving done by Squire and Davis that shows this uh, mound work that looks exactly like Plato's description of the central city of Atlantis and uh, like strikingly similar. Uh-huh. And Casey talked about, you know, archaeologists always wondered like why they laid out, why these mound sites laid out like that, which why their moats around uh, all so many of these mound sites. And Casey talks about, it was a representation of the central city of Atlantis uh, that the Native Americans would use as, you know, ceremonial uh, pilgrimage sites where they would remember, you know, the homeland essentially, which which is kind of fascinating. He said that the mound builders came up from um, actually Mesoamerica, avoiding uh, the sacrifice and the death cults that were happening there. And, Mound building in the United States started in 3400 BC at uh, Poverty Point, Louisiana. So it's quite a long time ago. But uh, if you read uh, Greg's book, it's this fascinating account of, of Edgar Casey and, and Atlantis. And I just, I kind of like take it all in and go with my gut. You know, I'm a um, uh, kind of a, intuition driven detective and, mm-hmm. and i know it's you know to you know if you talk to somebody who is a you know mainstream archaeologist they'd be like eh, you know there's not a lot of evidence for that or whatever and i just have this this overriding feeling that there is reality to atlantis and i always have and it's I, some people must think it's the oddest thing to say but it just it's in our memory for a reason and you know the, the whole Giant story, too. You know, I've studied extensively uh, orthodox archaeological and anthropological theory for about seven years for now, like intense reading textbooks and lectures and because I want to know both sides of the story. And I, I need to I can't be a chump. I have to know both sides of the story here. And I deal with professionals all the time. And I understand the I understand the orthodox viewpoints and I'm not dismissing them. And I'm not saying that archaeology and anthropology is some um, corrupt arm of a corrupt system. I, I don't buy that. You know, Monsanto was one thing, but these are just guys doing their job. And I could say, well, you're kind of like you're close-minded about some things, or you're you're dealing with a level of filtering. But that doesn't mean there's like some you know conspiratorial uh, you know agenda that's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. That's irrational. But I do see what you know something. I do see some form of agenda that can preclude some investigation into more controversial subjects. So at the end of the day, I just feel like there's a story here, and I just uh, that's what I get to stick with. Not like believe me or you suck. It's more like <laughs> I just I just got to tell you what, what my gut's telling me. Well, and I think that you know it, it's also been said that at, at some future point in time hopefully sooner rather than later, that spirituality and science will come together and work as one. And I, I think that, that's, you know, logic and reason does not always apply. And sometimes the truth is just so weird that, that you, you 
you know, back away and say, oh, you must be joking. And, and yet, time and time and time again, we've learned that, that some of the myths, some of the things that, that, you know, we thought were just fables and children's stories turn out to actually be very, very true. So, so that said, what we look upon as myth now, especially with the giants, um, you know, a, a lot of it probably has, has really sound physical evidence that we just haven't found yet. Because yes, when you, I, the, you there's know, some thought that, you know, we <clears throat> collectively obfuscate the truth from ourselves. Uh-huh. And that there's a shared holographic reality where a species with PTSD based on some cataclysmic event that I think is, has basis in reality. Um, I was just down in Ecuador, uh, doing a San Pedro ayahuasca retreat with shamans down there for a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, sit with the shaman for 15 hours on ayahuasca and you'll, you'll, uh, easily recognize the interconnectedness of, of everything in the universe. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah. we're, co- we're coming real close up here, I think, to a break. We're going to have a three-minute break at the top of the hour. So when you hear music coming, you know, don't go away totally, but you'll have three minutes, okay? Okay. But – but and Yeah, I was going to say about your, your thoughts about the, the strangeness of things. Uh, Brian Greene has this four-part special, Fabric of the Cosmos, on PBS – about quantum mechanics and quantum theory. And, you know, basically all the quantum theorists agree. Uh, time is an illusion. There's nothing but an ever-present now. When you view something 20 billion light years away, you change it at the subatomic level because it's basically your mind is the projector and it's the universe of time and space is a screen. Absolutely. We will be back in three minutes. Don't go away. There's a lot more fascinating stuff coming. necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation. Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. 
Over three gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a megavirus or computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records, addresses, phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us, we're already here. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712 712- 432-6958 and Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. Radio Freedom Slips.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Hi, this is Nightlight, and I'm Barb DeLong, along with Jim Vieira. Thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at FreedomSlips.com. 
Please help endorse our efforts and airtime by visiting the station support page and make and making a small donation from station owner to all levels of management, the entire production crew and every host. We all work without compensation of any kind, except of course, for the joy of being part of a very unique and special station. One that supports a true sense of freedom. Any donation, even a small one, is greatly appreciated and keeps freedom ever-present out there for those who seek independent thought and new paradigms and philosophies. Welcome back, Jim. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so much for that. Um, now, I want to I kind of get back into this, this haplogroup. Um, the very first migration of them supposedly was 34,000 years ago, and then the second was about... 14,000 years ago. Why did they make two migrations? Um, well, that was... Um, let me think. I'm trying to... Uh, is that in Greg Little's book? Or is that in the uh, the chap, the uh, final chapter of our book? It's the final chapter of your book. Yeah. Um, because it's not... I, it's It's a theory because... I don't think uh, any anthropologist would say um, migration wave happened 34,000 years ago. Uh-huh. That I would say what, what is what is known as a migration wave about 14 or 15,000 years ago, and it's theorized there was one before that. The, what, one interesting thing is that the Salutrian theory, uh, Dennis Stanford from the Smithsonian, he's the head of anthropology there, he has this theory that the Salutrians crossed the ice bridge, like island hopping across the, or ice hopping basically, mm-hmm. like 25,000 years ago to get to the United States, the East Coast of the United States. And he looks at the similarities and tools uh, from the Clovis people in Europe and, I'm sorry, the Salutrian people in Europe and the Clovis settlements in the eastern part of the United States. He looks at um, the fact that the Clovis settlements are predominantly concentrated in the eastern half. And, you know, the, the theory is that it, they came down the land bridge 15,000 years ago, you know, through Alaska. Yeah. And there were concentration of sites. And he also said that there's no clo- antecedent Clovis culture that you find as you travel up north. So he, he put together this theory, but... Uh, and one of the, the points he was making is that haplogroup X is found um, on both sides of the Atlantic. And now if you juxtapose that, like we did in the book, and say, well, maybe there was a uh, a continent in the middle of the Atlantic that dispersed haplogroup X in both directions. That's the theory. You know, ah. that you find this, this genetic marker. And, you know, like you said, Edgar Cayce said that the Iroquois – uh, were of pure Atlantean descent 12,000 years ago. And that mm-hmm. when the last, when the, the uh, continent of Atlantis uh, sank 12,000 years ago, Casey says that the descendants went to different parts of the globe and that one of the places was the east coast of the United States in the northeast and the Iroquois people um, who have a high concentration. Mm-hmm. Five percent haplogroup X. So it's this really fascinating um, 
kind of corrupt, you know, DNA corroboration of what Casey was saying once again. You know, Casey's been proven right over and over again. Like he claimed the Nile f- flowed backwards at one point. Yeah. Uh, that was proven by satellite imagery. He said that the Essenes had females in their ranks, and that was proven when the uh, after his death when they, they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that that was the case. So he w- really was, uh, you know, quite proficient in his predictions, and especially about the past. Um, he has a phenomenal accuracy rate. So... Once again, it's, uh, you know, this this really interesting um, thing where, where genetics seems to be lining up with this strange and controversial story of, uh, you know, Atlantis. I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean for the for humanity that this story persists? And if you listen to Plato, what is the, the lesson? The lesson is we're replaying what happened there with these factions of, of light and dark and this, you know, service to self has taken over, and the good of the service to others has been supplanted by service to the self. So we're headed down the same road, and it's kind of like time for us to wake up. Yeah, and well, it, you know, also when you look at at what theoretically, I have to keep throwing theoretically in because I can't prove any of it. Um, that the, the Atlanteans had a consciousness that, that had evolved far beyond what, what we have today. And yet you notice that you have people like Madame Blavatsky, and I say that with a chuckle, um, Edgar Casey, we've got, um, Buddha, we've got, um, we've got, uh, Steiner. Uh, I mean, there, there are, there have been voices throughout time that have spoken of these cultures and the in the level of consciousness and for the most part until until present time uh the, these these seers or prophets if you will have been kind of charted up, been charted up to you know they drank too much they smoked too much they whatever but but when you look at what they've written over time, it fits in. And, yeah. and yeah. I think one of the other things that, you know, most of us have been taught that, that, um, the inhabitants of, of North America came over the land bridge from Asia. However, I love your other theory that, that they came from, from Australia. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there are many different theories like uh, American Genesis, um, the, like the Melanesians uh, have Denisovan blood. Mm-hmm. And once again, the Denisovans are human cousins that mated with Neanderthals and uh, modern humans 40,000 years ago in Siberia. So... Uh, Many human peoples carry a small amount of, of uh, Denisovan DNA, and most people outside of Africa, I think everyone carries uh, a f- small percentage of Neanderthal DNA. So anyways, the thought is that they, they basically island hopped um, to get to, you know, the Denisovans were widespread throughout Asia and in made it to Australia. It's a really interesting thing. And then the theory is that they 
went to the uh, west coast of the United States that they they were seafarers long, you know long ago and it's a really interesting theory and and uh you know for the genetic testing will answer these questions for us but once again it's just it's another theory and um and and just asking these questions like uh, how do these stories emerge what is the possible scenario where we can you know put science together with such a um, controversial notion of lost civilizations and giants and little people. And that was, 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 is most fascinating. I think to me is that this, this idea of little people, I've talked to so many native Americans who tell the same story. It's just like, Oh, you know, the elder, the, the grandfather always talk about, you know, little people and uh, Lewis and Clark were told by the native Americans, they were afraid to go to uh, spirit mountain in South Dakota and, Lewis and Clark went out with armed men because it was reported there was malevolent little people there. It's it's <laughs> like there's this story of it's like Game of Thrones, you know, that this lost world that gets talked about consistently. It's the weirdest thing. Once again, there's a great flood, cataclysmic worldwide flood, cometary impacts, you know, the broom star. Uh, let, let me uh, say this for a second. Why is every like native culture afraid of a comet? When we see a comet, it's like, wow, it's so pretty. That's a cool astronomical event. It is feared worldwide, the broom star, you know, the mm-hmm. brink of doom. And now I understand after you read Graham Hancock's book, it's it's because it is a, it has been a bringer of doom. So you have little people, giants, advanced civilizations. This whole story is basically told all around the world um, in religious documents and oral traditions. And, uh, yeah, wow, it's, it's so strange that you have this lost world that is talked about and then a totally different theory that flies in the face of it uh, that, that contradicts that at every turn and vehemently too, as if to adhere to that notion is you're, you're like a religious freak or a, you know, uh, a new ager that has no, you know, sensibility or something like that. Like it's, you can't even entertain those ideas. It's such a divergent uh, reality. Well, you know, it, it just, in looking at all of this information, I mean, the mound builders um, theoretically at least had some giants within their culture. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and were they the mound builders? I mean, if you look at all of the megalithic, megalithic structures around the world, and you put giants into the into the mix, it makes it makes it seem a lot more logical that we could have built a lot of these huge um, the megalithic buildings because. And and I'm I'm not talking just seven eight feet tall. I mean, his, historically speaking, some of them went fifteen twenty feet tall. Tall, and if you have that kind of giant, <clears throat> like the one you talked about, he could he could pick up a ton with with no problem at all. There are connections, um, whether it's mound sites or megalithic sites. You know, Stonehenge, the Giant's Dance. The oldest representation is a textile in the 12th century that shows Merlin and a normal-sized guy along with a giant who's building Stonehenge. Uh, 
you can tr- you can chalk it up to the superstition, but the consistency of of giants be associated with these uh, sites all around the world. I think there are some sites that um, harken back to uh, another time, basically. That you know, I think we got the dates of Stonehenge pinned down pretty well. You know, the post hole post holes were laid in, you know, probably seven eight thousand years ago, but. You know, 2,500 years ago for the, the, the rings at Stonehenge, we have the dates of a lot of places down, but we, we don't um, have the dates down for, I think, places like Soxiwam and uh, Puma Pumpu. Mm-hmm. There are other sites around the planet that they think are remnants from another age, quite frankly. A lot of sites in South, uh, South America. And then we have, once again, we have a 12,000-year-old temple site in Turkey and um, Indonesia at Gunag Padang, that may be 20,000 years old. We still will know in the next couple of years. The the point is that these sites exist quite possibly from another age, and they all have these associations with giants. It's once again a strange thing because I don't want to sound like you know I'm dismissing all contrary evidence. I'm just I'm just basically trying to take it all in and look at it like a comparative mythologist and say, I don't want to, um, <clears throat> you know, right. This is the theory. This is the way it is. I just want to offer a different, um, viewpoint that isn't based on just a bunch of data where mm-hmm. I am, And the data is necessary and I understand it. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it doesn't hold weight. I'm, I'm saying there is a strange alternative story that is supported, um, by, what is looked at is it like a sacred oral transmission, you know, uh, of knowledge, whether it's the free, Freemasons or Rosicrucians who would never pass erroneous information to the initiates or oral traditions of, of indigenous people who have like trained females who have to remember every last word. You know, it's like it's it's just um, it's from a, a, a more pure wellspring, if you will, that I feel that these traditions are being transmitted rather than the the vast the vicissitudes of of science and and uh, the agendas and everything like that. Not that it doesn't have its place. Once again, I'm just kind of offering this other story that is repeated over and over again. Well, that's why I I found your book spectacular because you do go into great detail on a lot of these different possibilities and and I, I think that uh, one of the other fascinating things that, that you talked about was that in the mounds they found um, especially they found a jar of seeds that had to be I don't know how many thousands of years old but when they planted them they found that the crops that that they grew were so much richer and more abundant than the crops that are that are built today and and that they they possibly had what did you call it um, secret energy science that, yeah. that you know lost that, energy science yeah that 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 you know could put an electromagnetic charge into something to enhance it and uh, they found. Actually, with stone chambers, they found that you could do that with some seeds, that you could put seeds in the chambers and that that um, after a period of time, um, if you planted them, 
they were able to produce crops that were more abundant than had you just opened a packet of burpee seeds and thrown them in the ground. Yeah, it was Halberg and Burke, Seed of Plenty. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but yes, they did tests, uh, similar tests, um, you know, indicating that there is this this kind of lost um, – you know, plant science or energy science that, that helps things grow. And there are several of those accounts you men- mentioned. The one in the book is, is it said grew in spite of age. And mm-hmm. it was from a burial mound, like 60 feet down into it. They found an eight and a half foot skeleton with a jar that was sealed, a cask that was sealed. And they planted the corn and it was an outrageous um, yielder. And then there were other accounts, Indiana's freak corn, you know, Illinois, Ohio, where they found these jars of corn and then the farmers planted them and they were, were just outrageous uh, yielders, which begs the question, you know, is there, you know, I guess there's a lot of different theories about the way you weigh things out in design, um, you know, geometric forms or how you enchant the landscape with stones or earth or different organic materials and basically, you know, Ross Hamilton talks about this, that the ancient landscape was a, a you know, a generator of benevolent energy, if you will, where uh, he theorizes that crops would grow a lot taller, people would grow taller, and there was kind of peace and prosperity throughout the land. And that is kind of a universal theory, and it is, you know, uh, hypothesized that people around the world did, did this sort of thing, this tapped in where the shamans and the medicine men would, would direct people to build things in a particular way uh, to basically generate, you know, etheric power, if you will, like mm-hmm. something Stonehenge was built like that. And I, I tend to agree. You go to different sites and, you know, I went to Glastonbury tour and I was just blown away. It was like stepping through a multidimensional doorway and I was at Hughes house and, um, Glastonbury, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty dense guy, but I'll tell you that <laughs> something at that spot, and I've been other places too where I have the same feeling. And and uh, did you go to Avery? Avebury, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, certain of those stones radiate. I mean, you can feel the energy, and and um, it 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 can be a. Um, a, a cleansing energy it can be a, a rejuvenating energy I mean there is there is earth energy there is such a thing of it people who talk about earthing um, the earth has a, a heartbeat a rhythm a pulsation and if you stand in your bare feet on the earth long enough every day you can synchronize your own energetic field with that of the earth and and it helps to oh gosh decrease um, decrease inflammation and all sorts of stuff. So that yeah, so cool. that energetics. I mean, heck, wearing wearing magnetic bracelets if they're if they're more than five thousand Gauss magnets does help to enhance your, your the flow of blood through your body, and it helps to pol- polarize the. Um, the blood cells as they flow through your uh, through your veins. I mean, there there is there is such great validity in the natural aspects that are connected to the earth that we have lost touch with, and 
in, in looking at the giants and the size of their skulls and kind of figuring, okay, they had brains that were that much bigger and, and DNA wise, we don't use all of our, all of the strands of DNA that we have. The scientists call some, most of them junk DNA. But in reality, I, I really feel that, that we carry our own hall of records with us and that in those strands of DNA that we haven't been able to activate are the answers to a lot of these questions and possibly the memory of the history of, of our species. Uh, yes, I agree. And I agree with your thoughts about, you know, the earth. It's uh, 7.83 is the hertz, the uh, resonance of the earth. And uh, it is a proof that our culture has things upside down. What we value is screwed up. The way we pollute the planet. I mean, just if you like we're hovering above this planet and the concrete, the pollution, the cities, the global warming the nuclear arsenals, the constant warring, you would just shake your head and like, what the hell is wrong with these people? And you have to, you know, our science is rooted in that. That is a part of our science. Like, you know, I'm, I'm rebuilding the walls on my road, on Bug Hill Road here in Asheville, my brother and I, uh, two mile long stretch. Um, we've been at it since last year, kind of doing it uh, just to, you know, beautify the property uh, or, the, you know, Basically, the, the, for the town, you know, for the good mm-hmm. of everyone. But, um, you know, you're, you're out there and, and it's just like, oh, that has no utility. You know, like art has no utility. You know, it, it has to – you have to produce something. There has to be something measurable financially or whatever. And it's all like uh, – like you said that, you know, you're out by a waterfall sitting or you're down the beach and anybody can feel that, can understand that, the, that nature uh, – that the earth is a living being. And and even that like idea gets ridiculed, like it's oh that's new agey or something. It's like <laughs> basically you the more you identify with that culture, the more screwed you are. You are you are aligning with insanity, you know. <laughs> and you don't want to spend all your time railing against it, but in your own life you have to, you know, create a world that's the antithesis of what we see. And I find a lot of people will <clears throat> spend their time fighting and getting in this conspiratorial mindset. But like Socrates said, don't spend any of your time fighting the old, just create the new. And I do that in my life where, like I said, we're always, we built stone towers all around town and art projects and clean the woods and volunteer our efforts to like kind of make a Lord of the Rings environment where we live and, you know, plant flowers and everything like that. Like do what you love uh-huh. basically and create something beautiful for everyone and don't waste all your time. You know, just just battling with trolls or trying to prove a case or whatever. Just more like let your intuition guide you, you know, and and do something for the good of all. Yeah, and I think I think this book is spectacular because and, and I really I I don't rave about books that much. You know, I will say I liked it or I enjoyed it, but I think you've what you've done is is put so much material out there for people to sit and look at and check out and question and it's it's sort of like you've you've given them a lot of the building blocks whether or not they build a bridge or a barrier it's up to them but 
but what you've done is given them the building blocks, which is really phenomenal. I mean, and, and I'm sure there are lots of, lots of theories you haven't hit on. You did go into the, the Nephilim and the biblical giants and all of that. I still haven't figured out. They didn't just pop up a whole race of giants. They had to come from somewhere. They had to, um, have evolved somewhere because of something. I do, I don't think they were extraterrestrials. I really believe that they were indigenous to the planet, but I can't figure out where they came from. No, it's a great point. And I, I you know, people want answers and they want theories. Uh, but all I can, you know, I, I can, in the book, we, co- we cover some of the different, uh, potential theories I, I like to keep the flame going <laughs> <laughs> for the time when the ideas are more well received and it, it's basically you know i'm trying to just to get think people to think differently you know to, to look at uh more non-conventional sources of information you know like i said like oral traditions the accounts of early explorers uh historical documents uh, from the past well just about every one of the explorers that hit this country wrote about the giants that they that were here that were that were either tribes of them or were intermixed into the indigenous people that were here so so you know back when we were being discovered not that we were lost but but that you know they were here and my my thought is they they probably were at that time in decline, you know, because there were so many other smaller people. But but there was a time when this continent, I do believe, was ruled by giants, tribes of giants. Yeah, the, the explorers, the conventional thought is, oh, the Spanish average five foot three and the Native Americans were, you know, five ten, five eleven sometimes and they consider them giants and if you read the accounts that's not what they're saying they're pretty specific where you know from magellan coronado vespucci john smith john lawson de soto every explorer you can name francis drake reported like giant people giant tribal chiefs from patagonia to virginia to florida mm-hmm. to texas and and it it was like this giant on his knees towered over all our men. You know, they're talking about one one account is in a parade in Mexico. A nine foot tall giant was there. You know, they're, they're given specific measurements. Mm-hmm. Talking about Tuscaloosa, who ruled, ruled the Alabama territory, and him and his uh, son were both reported to be uh, seven and a half feet and, and maybe even taller, and, and like enormous, enormous. Uh, people here so i don't know and then we have photographs of you know seven foot four uh owner people and a six foot six woman uh at the turn of the century the 19th century that captain cook took and mm-hmm. yeah troops decimated those people and uh you know well the indigenous people were basically lost to time and i'm asking the question if you read through all these accounts in the book uh did, did anthropology miss something because it wasn't really looking for it and it just kind of ignored uh, so many accounts and, and the skeletal remains, you know, once again, there were so many accounts of these 
you know, bones were on display and now where are they all? And I'm not even saying, oh, it's some vast conspiracy. I'm just saying if they're five foot seven, <laughs> then I want, to, I want the documents or the photographs that this skeleton that everybody in the freaking town ranted and raved about was five foot seven and they were all delusional. You know, it's like, what is the other side of this? You know, like thousands of people lied in a very specific way for no perceived gain through decades of time and an era of inefficient communication. It just doesn't make any sense. It's that's illogical too. And, and, and uh, not too, but you know, the other side could say like, if there were a reality to this, there would be more physical evidence. And I understand that, but geez, at every turn, I'm just trying to like, okay, you know, where are the bones from this dig site? Oh, we lost the skull. Um, the universe, I'm sorry, the Maryland Academy of Sciences, uh, the mm -hmm. oldest scientific institution in the country. I didn't cover this in the book, but I talked to Linda Jo Nelson, the head of records and, John Widgeon, African-American naturalist, wide together like seven and a half to eight foot tall skeletons at the Franklin Street office. And I showed her the accounts. I'm like, do you know where these bones went? And she could find she was digitizing all the records. She could find no record of it. She said, I'm astounded. This Widgeon, you know, is a well-known naturalist. They were installed right here, you know, where I work. I can't find a whiff of them. <clears throat> and I'm like, if they're five foot seven, then... You know, at least that I want to know, you know what I'm saying? Instead, I just so many times I just can't find. And that's what's frustrating. And that's what the debunker doesn't realize. They just like dismiss it as, as hocus pocus. And I'm like, yeah, you dig into this and, you know, make a strong case because uh, I have not been able to, uh, you know. Well, a lot, yeah. a lot of the bones were so old that when they hit the hit the atmosphere, they just crumbled. That is, it's funny. Uh, I did a TEDx talk and and uh, it got taken off the internet. That that was mostly because I started to go off on the the Koch brothers uh, funding the Smithsonian for their. Um, that was a great video, by the way. I saw it before they <laughs> took it down. <laughs> the, yeah, they, they they pumped in like fifty million dollars into these exhibits that basically obfuscate the truth about glo global uh, climate change. So mm -hmm. I was I was ranting and raving. I was all pissed off at the end. And but the moral of the story is that, um, you know, I was talking about so many accounts, including Smithsonian ethnology reports, honestly report that uh, the bones, when exposed to the air, crumbled to dust. And they have been on their own records. Like I said, 36 inch, inch circumference skulls in Illinois, mm -hmm. seven foot tall skeleton with a huge skull in, in, in Florida. And, and, you know, doctors or scientists, they're looking at them. They crumble to dust. And what do you say to that, man? You, you just specific measurements and then they crumble away to dust. And it's not, you know, I, I didn't make it up. These scientists aren't making it up. It's something to happen. It's an unfortunate, uh, but it's in their records. I, you know, these things have just never been addressed. You know, like it's always like some debunker dude or some troll is, is like trying to be the gatekeeper of science. And, you know, I understand there's a lot of like internet garbage out there that has no merit, but when something is um, like this, that, that really deserves a further investigation, doesn't get looked at, or you have some a-hole just running their mouth uh, that you want to put their head through a wall, you know, like, <laughs> like certain, <laughs> certain debunkers, 
they're not scientists who are trying to look at the problem. You know, it's like, well, I was I, like, there are many things that need a second look. That's what I'm saying. And I, I feel it hasn't happened. And I feel there are a lot of theories out there that like ancient aliens, you know, like aliens didn't build the pyramids, you know what I mean? Or they didn't build Puma Punku. It's just like a catchy show that gets good ratings. So they keep aliens and whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, that, you know, that, yeah. A lot of a lot of this stuff, though. I mean, it, you look at you again. I I get into my my rant here about the negligence and the and the apathy that that we as Americans seem to have. You know, we we will pay fortunes for people to go over and to dig in Egypt. You know, cautiously looking for tombs and stuff like that. When right here in this country, we've got mounds that may be even older than the Egypt, Egyptian pyramids. And, and instead of, of taking a look at the, what we've got here, I mean, ground penetrating radar and stuff like that to maybe not have to actually dismantle. There, there are still mounds out there that have not been excavated. And I'm, and I'm not saying excavate them all, but, but it got to the point in the 1800s, especially when they saw the mounds, they knew they were a burial site, and and they dug in to just get the artifacts and to throw the bones away. And and some of these giants were were buried sitting up, facing west, I think, west or east, I, I forget which, but they were facing one direction. Yes, in a seated position facing the east, which, uh, once again, there are many of these accounts it was kind of a, a little-known Native American burial technique. Um, in his, buried in a sitting position facing the east. Now, a lot of these giant accounts talk about that specific burial technique, which indicates that they were human burials mm-hmm. and they were um, Native American burials and that they um, really strongly indicate that the report is true because you're not just going to, you know, if you're making up a hoax, you wouldn't know this obscure burial technique or like spokes of a whale and these other things. So, you know, the only thing it could be, this this mystery could be, if it's not true, is something that that measurement is bizarrely out of place. Like the 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 unbelievable inability to measure bones because nothing else, you know, mastodons, hoaxes, none of that carries weight. So it all boils down to that would be the only only argument that could dissuade somebody away from believing this is a reality. And once again, that that's usually the oh these are hoaxes, these are mastodon bones. No, they're not. And that's what kind of got me so into it because I was dismissed as a crank. And I'm like, no, you're out of your mind. You know, like there are so many um, credible accounts here. And I will say that the the burial position of sitting. Uh, Seated facing east was found in Egypt, uh, that style of burial, um, a couple of years ago. They found a 35,000 year old, uh, female skeleton in Egypt. So that's interesting that that burial te- technique has, um, been passed, uh, through the, the ages to, to land up in the United States and used by Native Americans. I think the belief is that the soul travels to the east, uh, so they, they bury somebody like that, but there's a 30,000 year old, uh, skeleton that was buried seated facing east, which is interesting. Well, isn't it also facing the rising sun as well? Uh, what is it? Sun rises in the east, sets in the west. Yep. Is that right? 
From the east uh, to the west, yes. <laughs> yes, I would say um, if any of your listeners have an interest, I, I read Greg Little's Path of Souls. It's about um, – actually, he talks about giant skeletons in the mounds and gives a really sober look at the, the controversy. But it's about Native American death rituals, and it's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of the, the tools uh, that were found in some of these – these mounds and these graves, the, the tools were huge, and and I, I think I think it's in Europe that they found an axe that was so high, so tall that that, that it was hard for a single man to lift it, and it it, it was not meant to be wall wall art. I'm pretty sure it it was meant to be a weapon, and you know the tools and and the um the the uh, uh, jewels what what. What I found fascinating was that there were several, and I believe they were mounds, where, where the, when the giant was, was uncovered, they were surrounded by hundreds or thousands of, of freshwater pearls. Mm. Yes, pearls and copper crowns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the, the kings and queens, it was buried, uh, in royal fashion. It, it was really, um, or it is really just a like a fascinating uh, part of, of Native American culture was, you know, the, the sophistication of their engineering and their, um, I mean, God, there's just so many things that, you know, I don't want to be the human dictionary, but from Poverty Point to Cahokia to Aztalan and Grave Creek and all these sites, uh-huh. amazing feats of engineering. What's found in the mounds is beautifully sophisticated, you know, carved implements and copper and pipes and just you know we we mentioned some in the book uh this beautiful stuff i have a 30 pound stone axe with me right now actually that this guy brock smith uh hugh met him at a conference and he sent it we did a, like a video but a 30 pound stone axe that i have just like the one in the book mm-hmm. uh that was considered the largest in the world at the time but i will say that there are many accounts where a giant skeleton was found with giant implements. Make of it what you will, but you can't, you know, a 30 pound axe head. I can't wield this thing. I'm a stonemason and, you know, there's no way I could swing it. And, uh, a couple of years ago, Oxford scientists at the oldest level of a basin in South Africa found four giant stone axes, like 12 inches long, giant amongst 10,000 normal size artifacts in, in, the thought is like, oh, that's a ceremonial object. Um, and that's, you know, uh, that's a theoretical possibility. I would say that there are many accounts, though, with these giant implements buried with giant people. And once again, I have the, the axe I have is from Illinois, found in a burial mound about 100 years ago. And it's it's absolutely enormous, just a beautiful uh, object. But uh well, well, being female and not so much into rocks, um, my fascination was where did they get that many freshwater pearls? Well, in one, the original Hopewell Mound opened by uh, Warren K. Moorhead in the late 1800s, they found obsidian from Wyoming, silver from Canada, shells from the Gulf Coast. Uh, basically, every part of the country their trade goods were found in this one burial mound showing that ancient America was this vast highway 
And I believe the freshwater shells came from the, uh, you know, like the coast of Georgia and Florida, if I'm not mistaken. Now, so, <clears throat> you're saying ancient. How, yes. You know, ancient is old, but, but I'm tw- how many thousands of years ago? Uh, you know, the Hopewell people 2,000 years ago, the Adena 2,500, 3,000 years ago, uh, that they lived in the Ohio River Valley. Uh, and then the Mississippian culture lasted. It was more like eh, 6700 AD till about 1500 AD. They were the kind of the pyramid builders, the latest or the last of the mound builders, the Mississippians at um, Spiro Mound in Oklahoma, Cahokia in Missouri, Moundville in Alabama. They, they were the uh, Aztalan in Wisconsin, the creator of those sites. What about what about the Catalina Island and the Santa Rosa Giants? They date back further than that, though, don't they? Well, the oldest uh, human remains in the United States, I believe, are two femur bones found in the Catalina Island Channel, mm-hmm. thirteen thousand years old. So the human remains there uh, are quite quite old, and. Um, all the all the islands you have reports from the 1800s on of, of enormous skeletons being found and reports of the native people being exceptionally tall once again and Catalina Island we went to the there for the show and man that place creeped me out the uh, the amateur archaeologist Frank Ralph Glidden was was a grave robber and he desecrated all these sites he recorded uh, quite a few enormously tall skeletons 28 inch femur and seven and a half feet and on and on and on but i just felt that he was just a grave robin lunatic at the end and and my brother and i had nightmares the night before we left there and i just want to get the hell out of Catalina. <laughs> <clears throat> but it was looked at as an island where the shamans were like incredible wizards with with uh supernatural powers it was always portrayed as as a place of, of um, you know spiritual power and, and um, you know mystery but all the islands reported the same things you know in all these scientific journals of the times and these adventurers chronicling them and digging up bones in San Nicholas and it's just, just once again a wild story that uh, yeah it, <sighs> It's like you want dates, but you need evidence to date. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. and and it's hard to 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 actually, unless you have something to carbon date, it's hard to know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, I, I will interject and say though, uh, one of the pictures in the book at the Santa Barbara Museum of Natural History, 1959, there are a number of skeletons, several over seven foot tall in the burial pit, and the carbon date is 7,070. Um, yes, uh, I mean, so it's like uh, 5,000 B.C., basically. And and there were several of those skeletons, uh, and they had red ochre painted on the skulls that were over seven foot tall, much like so many other reports around there. So that's from the Santa Barbara Museum in 1959, a uh, credible report. And uh, I would assume... You know, you're going back 10,000 years ago on those islands, at least. You know, I, I find it so sad that 
you know, our history books, first of all, don't go into this at all. And, and that, that we have all of these amazing historical sites here that, that people honestly aren't even aware of. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, you talk about giants and people kind of raise their eyebrows and just look at you. But the reality is there's absolute proof out there that they existed. They were here and they were here in huge numbers. It, it, it wasn't just an anomaly or, you know, somebody got born and was really big. Um, if it, when, when, um, the South Korea guy died and his son took over, Kim, whatever he is. Kim Jong un. Yeah. There was a picture of, of his army lining up to honor him. And, and Patrick spotted it. I didn't. But when you looked at the army, you saw, you know, everybody is about the same size, about the same size, about the size, same size. And then whoops. There's one huge person that is like twice the size of everybody else, and then same size, same size, same size, same size. So, 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 uh, I, I do feel that genetically, it's it's in our DNA that that we come from them, and I don't know how. I don't know, but where did they come from? I, I mean, you, you have migrations from Australia. You have migrations from. I know stories about how how um, they were, you know, chased out of the Holy Land into Europe, chased out of Europe into um, Ireland and, and whatever, and then they left Ireland and they came, they followed the ice pack or the ice, not the ice pack, but yeah. They, they, the land bridge. Yeah. And, and, you know, came from Europe into the America, Americas, and... If there was no one here then, if it was then just one great big forest and, you know, you're welcome to it, I, I get the feeling that they spent thousands of years here. And, and then the, then, then there was a migration from Asia and then, you know, then they intermingled and then, and then clearly something happened and we got smaller. Yeah. The, um, it's funny because I just want to, um, I don't want to be attached to anything like I just want to put out information. And I say that because, you know, if I'm like the giant guy or whatever, it's just like I have to like when I first got into the subject, uh, I kind of happened by accident. uh, Just taught reading through town and county histories, looking for uh, stone accounts from the early settlers encountering pre-colonial stonework. Um, I, I, I got so much heat for like, I thought like, oh, this is really interesting. People like that. When a lot of people enjoy this like historical, uh, detective work in this literature, but I, I just caught a bunch of heat and I felt like I, I, you know, I, it's on me to like prove this. I got in a defensive posture. Like I have to prove this case. And then I, you know, got to the point, I'm like, no, I don't have to, I just think, uh, it's worthy of further investigation. Uh-huh. So the, I, it's difficult to to uh, create a coherent theory, and I know that leaves some people disappointed. For me, it's more like uh, present the information, present the different theories, uh-huh. present science and the esoteric versions of it, and just kind of like what resonates with you, what makes sense, <clears throat> because um, well, and 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally respect that. You know, I have to jump to conclusions, but, um, but maybe that's for the next generation. Maybe, maybe people like you putting out all of these different theories and these different possibilities will, will catch and fascinate somebody much younger who will use technology so much better than what we have and be able to make connections. I, I frankly think that every single one of the theories you've got has some validity and they probably all have validity and, and, and the actual truth is, is a combination of them all plus, plus other, other facets of understanding that, that we haven't really linked up to yet. But I think personally, <clears throat> speaking from my modality, there's a level of consciousness connected to all of it too that, that, that will help that awareness kind of weave it all together so that there's a greater understanding. I don't think humanity is at that place in time yet. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Well, I think that's a good point, and that's how I feel. It's kind of like a modern-day Charles Fort. Like, I think if, I, if Hugh and I were overbearing in our book, like, you know, then it'd be kind of a turnoff to some people. I think more just to – keep alive all this cool historical documentation mixed with oral traditions, mixed with explorers accounts and mystics. And just like, this is what all these sources are saying about giants. It's kind of encyclopedia of mm-hmm. different sources. And it's just kind of keeping alive this, this uh, odd and controversial subject and see what happens, see if there's new anthropological finds that support it in the future, see if there's new evidence. And that's what I like to do. I think there are many uh, things that haven't been properly investigated. You know, Was there ancient machining at different sites around the world? Was there a worldwide cataclysm? Was there a pre-Ice Age advanced civilization? Was there a cometary impact? Were there little people? You know, the, the like... I could write a whole little people book, or like all these accounts of skeletons of, of like dwarfs that were found, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, just the same thing. Once again, meeting up with oral tradition. So I feel like I wanted to, I want like science and, and history and these things to be interesting to people and kind of fun and intriguing. And I, I it's like a gateway drug to get like kids in to, because I think anthropology and archaeology are fascinating. I frankly believe in most of orthodox theories. And, mm-hmm. and they, But the thing is, there are some big ones that I kind of like. I, I, I really think there's another story. Well, and that's, you've, yeah. you've taken you, – you, you have some scientific absolutes here, you know, some of your, your, your um, haplo X group and, and – you know, there there are a lot of things here that are scientifically valid that that can be proven, and you've but you've presented them in a way so that they dovetail into the legends, so that so that you see the two together and connected where they they have never been before. I mean, even even down to the electromagnetic stuff being connected to you know giants, and and you know we looking at the seeds and then thinking, well, if the electromagnetic energy could do that to the seeds, couldn't it do that to the, to, to the human 
to the human species that were there at that present time too. So, I mean, you've, you've put things out so people will question and put things together and say, what if? And I, I truly believe that's what makes your book so brilliant because people sit back and they start to postulate and that means they start to think. And, and if you can make people think, you have absolutely served your purpose. Excellent. Uh, <clears throat> you, uh, you're singing my tune. I'm really glad uh, that um, you enjoy the book and you've uh, given it such a, a glowing review. I really, uh, Hugh and I, I got the two-minute warning sign about a minute ago, so I guess uh, from Sean. So yeah. I'll give a, a, a conclusion right here that, uh, yeah, that, that once again is my goal, just to, to uh, you know, I, I always loved fascinating mystery stories when I was a kid, and I try to make a real one here where I'm just taking – like real historical evidence and weaving it into a fascinating tale and people can make up their own minds. And I think if you're logical and reasonable, you will see that, uh, um, it's quite an interesting story. So, yep. Yes. Thank you so much, Jim. This was great. Like I said, two minutes, two hours isn't long enough. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, Barbara. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.